Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to Minisode 39, where we will be discussing Sofia Coppola's Lost in Translation, which earned her the third-ever Best Director nomination for a female, and first for an American woman in history at the Academy Awards in 2004. I'm Aaron, and here with me, as usual, is Patrick. Hey, everyone. Now, this film was chosen by our patrons out of a list of female director options, which we did in honor of March being Women's History Month. I, for one, am quite glad that they chose this because it's a movie that I have always adored and I felt very strongly about it. It's also a movie that I am unaware of Patrick's feelings about, so (laughs) I'm excited to find out. Well, almost ready to find out. After I warn you that we're going to spoil the heck out of this movie, like we always do, and it's best to listen to our conversation after you've seen the film. So with that being said... Now we can get into it. Patrick, it struck me a moment ago as we were prepping for this recording and I was showing you my lovely banana (laughs) that as he sits here above my desk watching over me as I podcast, he's Japanese and it's really appropriate to have him out here. Mm -hmm. It is appropriate in some way, shape or form, I guess. (laughs) You can say whatever you need to if you want to keep him next to you. I mean, I know you say you sleep with him, but if you want him to podcast with you, that's cool too. Whoa. You just dropped that on the air that I saw. Oh, oh my goodness. This is what – who needs enemies when you have best friends? Exactly. <laughs> Everyone – Patrick just said the word podcast, by the way. I almost want to start a counter because yesterday uh, Patrick had the opportunity to talk to some kids – uh, some sixth graders about podcasting and he did presentations for darn near six hours. Uh, so he has said that word many times. If you're interested in hearing that story though, come back for our next main episode uh, on Moneyball, and he's going to tell us all about it, but this is a mini. sode so we got to keep it mini, mini, kind of like, like banana. He's a mini cat inside of a banana. Anyway, back to okay. lost in translation. We'll, we'll <laughs> Boom on track. One word takeaways. Patrick, what is yours? Well, I was trying to decide and midway through our prep, I actually switched. And I don't know if you saw our notes that you saw that, that word change. I did. I'm um, curious. So the, the thing is when, when, when you watch a movie and then you rewatch a movie for various reasons, either because you loved it or because the episode that you were going to record it on got delayed uh, several weeks and you wanted to refresh your brain, uh, oftentimes you have a different reaction to it. And that's okay. I think that's what makes movies really special is that you can get either the same reaction, just enhanced or a completely different reaction. Neither of those that I had in both my viewings, one being the very first time, the other being the most recent, my second time, uh, were negative in any way, shape or form. But I felt like this word did a better job of encapsulating my feelings. And the word that I picked was delicate. And I think w- the reason I chose this is because of the fact that Sofia Coppola does what I think is very difficult in film is she puts together scene after scene after scene of really not much happening. It's almost as if we get just little glimpses of these two characters and we're just kind of watching them live a life over the course of a couple of weeks. And there's nothing very heavy handed about it. Like the way in which she frames certain scenes, the way in which we see these characters look at each other, the way the music works, every little element feels very purposeful and it doesn't feel like it's something that she's trying to just ram down our throats. Like she's just saying here, this is the life that I want to show you. These are two lives that I want you to be introduced to get to know and walk away from in the course of just under two hours. And when I watch this, when I take it all in, in it's kind of slow, methodical storytelling rhythm, 
the only word that I could think of to describe that is delicate. I don't feel like there's anything heavy about this at all. I feel like everything's light. I feel like it's the, the, the themes are not light by any means, but I just feel like the, the overall flow of it feels very much feather like when it comes to how she handles the, uh, the characters and the emotions and everything that that's a part of this movie. Awesome. I think that is a very appropriate word for her style of filmmaking, mostly in general, but specifically in this film. Um, the word that I came away with from this most recent viewing was patient. I feel like Lost in Translation is a very patient film. It spends a lot of time letting us get to know Charlotte and Bob before we ever see them together. So it really gives us a sense of who they are individually um, what they're going through. We see them isolated in the spaces of their luxury hotel, dealing with spouses who don't seem to be on the same page as them. We see them both mesmerized at times by the lights and the sounds of the city. And to me, it feels very much like they're both missing something, but neither is really in a rush to get it. They're kind of just wallowing through their days and their lives. Even when they finally do interact, I think that it's, it's a very tentative and coy type of interaction. And so it really is this blossoming of a romance slash friendship, which is a conversation we're going to need to have. And it's not this typical American fall in love overnight narrative, which we're very used to seeing if we have any kind of male and female protagonists in a movie that are leading it. So I really love the way that she shows patience in this film. Even in the opening shot, it's held for 36 seconds. That is an eternity to sit on one specific frame in a movie. And, and to start your movie with like that, it really takes a lot of confidence in your, in your filmmaking ability and your story and where you want to go and how you want to tell your story. Because a lot of audience members could be turned off by that or, well, in this case, a lot of audience members might have been turned on by that, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I think that this patience in the film is something that helps me connect with it quite a bit. Um, I get, I feel like I'm more deeply in tune with Charlotte and Bob because I get all of this alone time with them in the beginning. And frankly, I'm a little bit jealous, Patrick, because patience is probably my worst quality. Yeah. Well, and, and I think with, with a movie like this, it forces us to be patient because our expectation is with what Coppola is giving us, our expectation is that they will at one point interact with each other. And that's something that doesn't happen early on in the film. And we get almost what, 40 minutes, 50 minutes of the movie of these two people really setting us up for helping us understand where they're coming from. We see Bob interacting with his wife on the phone and there's some distance there. We see Charlotte in this new marriage with her husband and we can already see that there's a little bit of distance there. So we're getting a foundation of each of these characters probably for the first third of the movie and they don't even interact until... I don't know, 40, I don't even know what the, what the time is, but I know that it's a while. And so Cap Cap Coppola, <laughs> Coppola, Sophia Coppola is saying, look, I want you guys to ease into this because this is what I'm asking of my characters. I'm not asking them to get together because it's not just about their relationship. It's about what's going on with them outside of the relationship that you're about to see. And I think she wants us to invest in that equally as much because it helps us understand where they're coming from by the time they get together. And in a lot of ways, it helps define their relationship, which is not typical, as you mentioned. No, it's very not. And it, I want to go before we move too much. I want to talk about that opening scene because it's very much not typical also. Mm -hmm. And I want to know what your thoughts are on it. So the opening shot of this film is iconic. It is known by all cinephiles everywhere. You can't have seen this movie and not remember how it opens. Sorry, you just can't. Um, so what we get is this picture of Scarlett Johansson in her underwear. 
these sheer see-through panties. She's sideways and it's basically her butt. Um, in this, what I can only describe as a pretty stunningly artistic shot Mm -hmm. um, of her laying there. Now, the history behind this is interesting. I know that uh, Scarlett was a very – she was still a fresh actress at this point. She's pretty young. and I think she was still in her teens, weren't she? She was early 20s for sure. She was early 20s at at the most. But I know that she was hesitant to do this, and Sofia Coppola actually had to put on the underwear and model it for Scarlett before Scarlett would do it herself because Sophia wanted her to feel comfortable. And so she just, she modeled that herself that she was willing to do it, which I thought was pretty, pretty intriguing, especially because this is a female director. And what we have here is this scene that in any other movie, it's going to come through a male gaze perspective, right? We are, Anytime you see this scene, you see 36 seconds of a, a beautiful actress's butt and nothing else but her hips and her butt and a little bit of her thighs. It's all about inducing a male sexual reaction, right? But in this way, we have in, – instead, we have this hazy, slightly out-of-focus scene. We have these brown and pink tones and this soft music playing. And for me, it really – Instead of putting me in this sexualized place, it made me really curious about what is this movie going to be like? Like, what am I in for? This is very shocking and crazy. And so I think it's interesting because it's never a sexual movie. Like, we have this scene that implies sexuality from the very beginning, and we never go there. I mean, Bob does with some random woman, but, but that's – Bob and Charlotte never go there. Mm-hmm. like you would almost assume. And so, yeah, man, I don't know. It just, it's, it's kind of simultaneously got this creep factor, but I also find it so brilliant and unique that I think it's amazing. I, yes. Where did you land on this? Well, see, I didn't think of that at all. I didn't think of it as sexualized. I didn't think of it as, as creepy. I, it was jarring because when that's the first thing you see in a movie, you're going to ask that question. What's this movie going to be about? I have a movie called lost in translation and it opens up with, a a young woman's rear end. And so, yeah, you're, you're kind of left wondering, but you mentioned the fact that it was out of focus a little bit and that it, it feels more like we're watching a piece of art. Like we're, like we're looking at an exhibit of some kind, like a painting that's actually kind of living. Exactly. I was, yeah, I was listening to a, uh, I'm not going to say the P word. I was listening to a, sh- a sh- an internet radio show <laughs> called the Ted radio hour. And one of the segments was talking about th- the whole episode was talking about slowing down. And one of the stories that was told was about a guy who is an artist and his installations require you to sit and watch them for at the very least, I think 10 minutes in order to experience the whole thing. And the idea is that he believes that people from a cultural standpoint, when they go to museums, they go with their iPhones and they kind of look at a piece of art and they take a picture of it and they move on. And they're not really experiencing that for what it is. They're not taking a look at the details. Now, I'm not saying that we should take those 36 seconds and observe every curve of Scarlett Johansson's rear end. I mean, no, you can, but you know, that gets on the border of perviness. But what I think Coppola is doing here is she's saying, I want us to just take time to observe. And I think that echoes into a lot of other scenes. So when I was watching it the second time around, I began to just watch what was going on in each and every scene, watch what the outside world was doing to influence Bob and Charlotte in different ways. Um, I, I found it very interesting when, the call girl was sent to his, uh, his, uh, his hotel room watching his facial expressions. I mean, this is where I think Bill Murray shines is the way in which he emotes with his face or doesn't actually where he has these blank stares that tell so much about what he's experiencing without him saying anything. That's one of the strongest features of his acting ability is the way that he can just deliver deadpan dialogue, whether it's in a humorous way or a dramatic way. And I think that Coppola was trying to do that intentionally and setting us up at the very beginning to say, watch everything, just observe. 
and as a result, experience, because that's what I'm going to tell you. And we have to, because man, there's nothing exciting that goes on in this movie. Nothing. The most exciting thing to me, at least from an, just a, just kind of a surface point of view from a high level is the arcade. What? The arcade and carry. Yeah. The arcade, yeah. The arcade and the carry. Yeah. It's by definition, those are the most quote exciting things, not the most intriguing. There are so many scenes that are more intriguing than those, but from an action or a high energy point of view, those are the, those are the scenes that stand out. And I, again, I think there's some intent with what she's doing with that. hundred percent agree. I think that's why our one word takeaways truly nail this one when you put them together delicate and patient like i mean that that captures the style of this movie in a whole moving on i would say i gotta know where you land on or how do you feel about bob and charlotte's relationship (laughs) so the main the, the main crux of this is that we have bob and charlotte both in japan both unsatisfied um bob is unsatisfied in his work Charlotte is unsatisfied and unable to find a passion, find a drive, find any kind of work. She's gone through hobbies and she's just kind of floating around following. I think it's Mike is her husband, Giovanni Ribisi, um, who has he ever played a likable character? I believe he has. Yes, there is a character that he plays um, opposite Juliette Lewis in The Other Sister. They both play mentally. <laughs> Never heard of Handicap. It's really, really. I may need to see that because I, literally everything he's. He's just he's, kinda, he's so, great. He's I mean, great, he's great at that role. But like he's typecast. I mean, yeah, he's definitely skeevy, skeevy, <laughs> whatever. But and, and it's it's a rare role that he can play someone that you're that you really care for. And that's one. So I would encourage you to watch that. The other sister. It's 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 a nice okay. movie. I'll, I'll mark that down. Um, so yeah, but they reject their, they reject filling their lives with material satisfaction. And it seems like they both really enjoy quiet, solitary moments, um, of isolation and, and just silence. And they both like spontaneity as well. We come to, to learn. So the tagline of this movie is that everyone wants to be found. And I'm wondering how you think that plays into what we see happen with our two main characters. Well, I'll answer your first question in that, what do I think about them? That's obviously a loaded question. And from a moral standpoint, there's a lot that I have issue with. I mean, I love the Institute of Marriage. I think it's incredibly valuable, but that's not the story that Coppola is telling us. She's not trying to create conflict necessarily with that. I think what she's doing is she's using those external elements to elevate the fact that these two people don't know what they want. And in a metaphorical way, they're lost. Uh, you have, you have Bob who's lived a life that is very satisfying to the world. He's got money, he's got fame, but he's kind of on the kind of on the end of his big career. He reminds me a lot of, of those folks that, are like Vegas superstars and they end up the latter part of their years in places like Branson, Missouri. You know, I feel like that he's kind of one of those characters that's living that part of his life. He's kind of in the twilight of his, of his career and he's getting paid a ton of money to do something that he just really doesn't care about. Ironically, by the way, Bill Murray in a very meta performance, because this is Bill Murray's twilight of his career as well. Agreed. Yeah, I could, I could as I could. he does this performance. I just think that's kind of a, an interesting twist. I, you know, and, and very appropriate though. I think it really inspires kind of how he approaches that character. Um, and then you have you have Charlotte, who is essentially just starting out. Yeah, their their the relationships are framed by their marriages. One is seasoned, one is brand new, and yet they are both looking for something else. And in a lot of ways, they're lost because, like you said, Charlotte's looking for something to fuel her. She's looking for that passion, whereas Bob is just looking for something to make him happy. And it's interesting that Coppola uses these two characters to kind of show us that whether you're starting out in your youth or in your season of life with a relationship or whether you're seasoned in these different ways – you're not necessarily 
going to be happy. You're not necessarily going to have what you want. And she might be making a point that love isn't the answer. I, I don't know for sure, or that having someone is the answer because neither of these people for varying reasons are happy with who they're with. And so leading into their relationship, I don't think that I don't have a problem with their relationship at all. I actually think that their relationship is vital for each one of them because I think they both give perspective to one another. I think Bob shows Charlotte that life on the other side isn't so great. Even if you have the things that you've aspired to, to gain, you know, here's a guy who has gotten what he wants and here's a girl opposite him that doesn't know what she wants. And so he's saying, look, happiness isn't wrapped up in finding out what you're passionate about or what you drive to, to be or do happiness is something else. What is that? I don't know that the movie answers that question, but I think that their relationship is important to each other in that regard. I think they both need each other over the course of these two weeks to kind of understand both ends of the spectrum when it comes to their lives. So back to the everyone wants to be found aspect of the the movie's tagline. Clearly they, they have a pull toward each other once they are aware of each other's presence Mm -hmm. in their lives. And there's something that seems kind of intentional, almost soulmate-y um, in nature to the way that these two quickly get along and find comfort in each other. Yeah. Do you think that they fall in love? Because you just mentioned that, you know, this is, this is a big question that, I knew it was going to come out of this episode. And when we talk about it is the idea that Bob is married mm-hmm. and wh- where does this relationship fall in the, is it okay? Is it not okay? Realm. Yeah. That, that gets into the whole moral ambiguity here. I, I, again, if I could separate my personal convictions about it, I would say that their relationship is appropriate for where they are. I don't think they fall in love just okay. to be, just to be frank. I don't think they do. I think if we're going back to that tagline, I, I think I would alter that by saying everyone wants to be validated Hmm. (laughs) and everyone wants to be significant. And I think that's what they, what their roles were for each other. I think he felt significant to her and she felt significant to him. Something really interesting uh, that I felt when he, we're about two thirds of the way through the movie and he, ends up having this relationship or this one night stand with some random woman. I forget who she is. It's a call girl. Yeah. yeah. And she's weird, but yeah, she, she is weird. Definitely. Marissa Tomei weird where, you know, we're talking about, but she's got this Charlotte hat. When we see the reaction from Charlotte, I'm feeling a little bit of rejection with her, with Charlotte, but I'm conflicted because Bob and Charlotte aren't a couple. They're friends, soulmates, but not romantically connected. They're connected in some way. And this is where I think the biggest impression is, uh, is, is for me that Sophia Coppola does. She says she creates a relationship with two people that isn't driven by sex. It's not driven by some kind of like erotic love. And yet when Bob decides to sleep with this random woman, I feel like he's cheating on Charlotte in some way. I feel like he is invalidating the time that they have spent over the last several days. And I'm even even saying that now I'm going days, not weeks, not months, not years, days. And there's something really, really impactful about that and about how strong their relationship is and how it's portrayed over the course of these several days that a choice that he makes is impacting her and impacting me as an audience. I don't feel sorry for his wife. I feel sorry for Charlotte. And that's weird to me to feel that way. I should feel sorry for his wife. I should feel bad that he's cheating on his wife. Not that he's cheating on Charlotte because he's not cheating on her. And it's just this weird feeling that I have and it's it's conflicting. And I, I don't know really how to resolve that. Well, that sounds like jazz. (laughs) it's chaos man um it's very new very exciting (laughs) 
always changing, but yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you in that Charlotte's reaction is definitely layered and nuanced and has a subtle hint of jealousy in it. And I think, think that's what makes Sofia Coppola amazing. I think that's what makes this film special is that she directs a performance in this story where we get as an audience to project our viewpoints onto Charlotte in this moment. I, I yeah. don't think there's an answer. I, don't, I, I would guess that if you asked Sofia Coppola, she would tell you that it doesn't matter or it's up to you or something very vague like directors like to do. Well, that's art right there. <laughs> exactly. That's my point. Like it, I could watch this at a place in my life where I'm married and struggling through my marriage and I may see it completely differently than I see it as a single divorced man. Right. Right. And I think that that's interesting because it lets us evaluate for ourselves how we respond. Because like you, what you just said is so cool to me that it made you wonder why you had that initial feeling and that reaction. Mm-hmm. And I did too. I did too. I, initially feel that way i can tell you that i've seen this film many times now and over the course of many viewings and knowing what's coming down the road so i i feel like we always throughout charlotte and bob's relationship we always see it as a longing that at least for me i never expect to be fulfilled in a sexual way or in a way that is going to last so Mm -hmm. things like the elevator kiss you know it's it's like half cheek half lip it's it's incredibly awkward which i think captures the whole out the totality of their relationship really well and then uh, they later share one real kiss but i think that all of that to me is like symbol symbolic of the fact that they knew they were never going to be a couple like that was never the the tra- trajectory for this mm-hmm. and knowing how it ends up the scene with his wife and he on the phone really sticks out to me now um whereas in past viewings when i first saw this movie i think i just kind of skirted over this and i was like man she's being a nag but what i saw this time around was a much different thing she says to bob she says do i need to worry about you bob and he says only if you want to mm. and she says no i love you And they hang up. And here's what I noticed this time. The disconnect is not just her fault. This is not, this is not a wife doing something that is wrong. This is a woman that is trying to keep a life together with kids. And to me, that realism helps make this story even more powerful because I can see this happening in real life all the time. Couples drift apart unless they work at it every single day and they commit to staying engaged in each other's worlds. And Bob has gotten himself to a place where he doesn't want to be engaged in that world. And frankly, she doesn't have the energy and time anymore to be engaged in his fantasy world with him. Mm -hmm. And so it's weird because I have developed a lot of sympathy and you know feelings towards his wife and the situation that is occurring and it influences how i watch him interact with charlotte you know but but from your point of view we don't get a lot of insight into her as a person just through his eyes and through those conversations do you think she's committed to their relationship do you think it's something that is being um called out do you think coppola is trying to say something about her commitment if there is anything. I mean, how does that translate to you? Is she just, is she on autopilot with their relationship? Is she just saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just be the mom and the wife. I'm going to just go through the motions or is she, is she trying to, is there a sense of saving their relationship that she feels like needs saving? Well, I don't think we, we have enough to go on in that regard. I definitely don't feel that she's trying to save anything. I feel that she is just going through the motions that she says at one point, she talks about how, you know, why don't you just come back? You know, like she talks about him coming home and staying home. And we, we do see her, she mails him carpet swatches, right? Which Mm -hmm. is played in a way where we see it as Bob being 
like down in the dumps because here he is in Japan trying to escape and he can't escape. He has to still pick the right freaking carpet for his house back home. Oh, poor man, right? How dare you be involved in your home making? And so that's how it plays out. And you can read it one of two ways. Again, I really think that's the beauty of the film is depending on where you're at in the moment in your life, you can see this how you want to see it. You know, you can see it as Bob being pestered by his wife who won't just let him come over here and do his job and then enjoy the fruit of it back home. Like let him have this time, right? Or you can see it as a wife who is just trying to stay engaged with her husband and keep him part of the the family, keep him part of the decision-making process. And he is completely checking out on her. So I love that about it. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting relationship to say the least. And it's one that I think like a lot of things in this movie leaves a lot to interpretation, which allows you to experience the the movie as a whole from differing points of view. Uh, when we were talking about Ex Machina, I remember you mentioned watching it from, from AO's point of view and then watching it from, the other two characters points of view. And I think that we can do that with lost in translation. We can look at it from, from Bob's point of view and from Charlotte's, but also from Bob's wife, because that's part of, of any of the characters outside of these two. She gets a little bit more significant uh, of a story arc in some way because of her involvement with, with Bob. Uh, Rabisi's character, I think is played for, antagonistic re- reasons. I, I don't think there's a lot about his character that we, that we get a glimpse of. We don't get kind of his world outside of the fact that he's a popular photographer that, that shoots uh, rock bands and celebrities. And that's why he's there. So I think that he, you know, his, his character is probably not as meaningful as she is, but I think that that gives this movie a lot of credibility because of the fact that it is layered. It does have a lot of perspectives that you can look at at different points of your life or even at the same point in your life, just from different viewings to see, okay, what if I were his wife? What if I were him? What if I were Charlotte? How would these things make me feel? How would I react to hearing that conversation maybe in the hallway as he's talking to her? And so it definitely raises a lot of questions about, Hmm, how does this make me feel? It's definitely on the feeling film radar as far as that goes. Right. And I, I don't think Bob is seeking out any kind of relationship. I mean, he, it is so awkward. One of the things I loved about his character is that, that, uh, scene in the strip club. He mm-hmm. is so uncomfortable, right? It's, it's kind of like the opening shot in a lot of ways. It's one of the more sexual parts of the film when he is just yeah. like not in his element. He wants nothing to do with being there, you know? Mm-hmm. And that tells me that he's got a deep seated commitment. I think. And I mean, I, I know he cheats ultimately, but I don't, I mean, I, I don't know that that's always I don't, a sign of, I don't know that it's more about commitment and I, don't, it, I think it's less about commitment and more about exposing his emptiness mm. about the lack of what he has. And the same thing for Charlotte, because the fact is we don't, we know nothing about her relationship with her husband. We know it's new. We know that he's brought her to Tokyo to experience the magic of Japan. And and there's a lot that you could say about the city and how it either is very hostile and beautiful at the same time to mm-hmm. these characters. But I don't think Bob is showing commitment to his wife much more than he's saying, look, I just don't know what I want anymore. Mm-hmm. This is not satisfying. And, and we feel that with him, which is really incredible because just like that first scene, it could have been played in a way that felt very pornographic or very like stimulating. And instead it was like, man, this is just wrong. It's just weird. It's like, ugh, you know, almost to a sense like awkward and gross because we're like, we want to get out of there with him. And up to that point, we just, we see him just trying to figure out what he wants next. And like his relationship with his wife, if she's just going through the motions with him, I think he's just going through the motions with his career and the perception of who he is like those. I think the funniest scenes are him trying to get through those whiskey commercials 
and he's basically saying, if this were real whiskey, I would do a lot better, but it's tea, it's tea. And, (laughs) and again, going back to his facial expressions, I mean, he doesn't even have to say anything and you just know the angst that he feels. He feels humiliated. He feels like this is who I am now. And so we get the beginning stages of the fact that he has this big emptiness in him and Charlotte does too, for other varying reasons. But I think that the movie exposes more about that than about their commitments to their significant others. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and all we see of John and John is that he, like you said, he's, he's brought her along. He's a rock star photographer and that he just wants to talk about himself. Just like Kelly who's played by uh, Anna Ferris. Mm-hmm. Like their characters are clearly one and of the same, right? They are the same type of Hollywoodish star who, wants to talk about themselves and their efforts and what they've accomplished. They don't want to interact with other human beings in an emotional connected way. But there's an interesting parallel here, how Bob's wife wants to stay connected to him and wants him to continue to be a part of the family, even from a distance. And I think Charlotte by coming along and being a part of that table conversation that led to just <laughs> the ridiculousness of Anna Ferris's character, just talking about herself. I think she wanted to be involved in, his world so that she could feel like she's connected to that, even though she's clearly not, this is not who she is. Right. And so I think there's some, some good parallels there. Well, how do you feel about where they end up? Because ultimately I want to know whether or not you think it's satisfying that Bob rushes back out of the car to get Charlotte or not. Um, and it, what in the world is he saying to her? both thematically and then also like as an artistic film, filmatic, that's not a word, but as a, <laughs> as a piece of filmmaking, as a directorial choice to create this scene that we get here with silence, with us seeing his lips moving, whispering something into her ear and not telling the audience what is being said. How does this all play out to you? And ultimately where do you land on their relationship? Positive negative what do you where do you think they go from here i know that's a lot of questions but kind of get through them all well first i would say i I was satisfied with the ending Uh, i'm a big fan of ambiguity and uh, because it leaves stuff open for conversations like this i I think it goes back to what i think the tagline of the movie should have been i think that in that moment he was giving her final validation whatever it was that he was telling her we can make that call and by not knowing exactly what he says we get that opportunity to say, okay, if he's validating her, this is what I think he might be saying. He might be saying, your life is going to be good no matter what you do because you are X, Y, and Z. Um, I don't think he's saying anything more than I love you, I'm going to miss you. And just like any other scene with them, I don't think it's a romantic goodbye. I don't think it's a, I, I think it's, borderline mentor mentee (laughs) friends with benefits, but not sexual. I don't really know how to describe it. I I think that it's sincere. I think that would be the word that I would describe is their goodbye feels very sincere. Is it honestly sincere though? (laughs) You know, it is every time Conrad Birdie would agree with me that it is honestly sincere. Every time that word gets brought up on this podcast, I feel like I have to bring it to a bye bye Birdie reference. You I, I, do, I am interrupting for a purpose though. There's a scene that I think really speaks and, and kind of informs what you're saying. Charlotte asks Bob earlier in the movie, she says, I'm stuck. Does it get easier? And Bob's mm. answer is the more you know who you are and what you want, the less you let things upset you. And I think that that, is a direct tie in to how he acts and he works through this final scene with her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think by him going back to her, it at the very least says he cares for her and he wants nothing but the best for her. And that's informed by conversations that we see earlier, but it has nothing to do with any kind of physical feelings that he has for her. So then why does he kiss her? I think because a kiss doesn't have to be romantic. A kiss can mean that he is showing her that intimacy is important and their relationship in its limited capacity had a level of intimacy that probably necessitated a kiss like that. That's Again, beautiful. No, I completely agree. I think he is giving her something that she needs. I think she needs to feel that connection 
And they were, again, they were never going to sleep together. It was never going to be a sexualized relationship. And so it's probably the most friendly mouth kiss of any that I've ever seen in a movie, like from what I think of it as in my mind. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And it it's consistent with the rest of the movie and how they interact with each other, even from the moment that they like laid eyes on each other. He smiled at her. She smiled at him, but it didn't feel gross. It didn't feel like, Ooh, old man and young girl. And he's trying to creep on her. I think that from the very beginning, we, we almost don't want them to be in that kind of relationship because we value what they're lacking and what they can potentially get from each other to fill up what they're lacking. So you think ultimately that they do benefit each other's lives. I do. Um, and I think it's something that when you look at their relationship, I almost don't want them to ever see each other again. Like, I feel like they were meant to be together in that way for that period of time as sort of a, a pause as sort of a transition to something else. If I were to interpret that Charlotte is going to leave her husband or find something better or move on with her life. I would say that it was inspired by her relationship with Bob by being around him. I think that he goes home to his wife and begins this next season of his life, not being the celebrity being a father to his children and a husband to his wife. And that could only be accomplished by him having this relationship with Charlotte. I think they both write, I think in their own ways, they both helped each other write their ships or at least steer them in the direction that felt that made them each feel better about themselves and have something to look forward to. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it pointed them in the right direction. Yeah, there you go. That's a better way to say it. You know, and I think I feel like the same. I don't I don't have any expectation or belief that they're ever going to meet again. That's the last thing that I believe would happen in this story. So they were there for a moment. They were impactful on each other's lives. And who knows where they went from here. And it, And I don't think it matters. I think the beauty of this, I mean... In the marriage side, it matters. Um, but I think the beauty of not letting us know that and not giving us any more than it does is that we get to really place the importance on the the journey, quote unquote, part of this relationship, not the beginning and the ending, right? It's yeah. the, this is what we got to see. One of the cool things about this film is the music. I really enjoy the soundtrack. It's kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. but it's got a lot of different styles. It feels like a perfect match for this nighttime cityscape that we get a whole lot. Um, when there's, there's one scene where Charlotte is walking around exploring the city alone early in the film. And it is just a beautiful, beautiful scene it's by a, it's called um, alone in Kyoto. I think, or maybe the band is called alone in Kyoto. You're the song is called air. The other really big track for me that sticks out, though, is the song that plays during that final scene. Um, it's called Honey, or I'm sorry, it's called Just Like Honey by the Jesus and Mary chain. And as Bob is getting out of the car to go back to her, the lyrics say, walking back to you is the hardest thing that I can do, that I can do for you, for you. I just love when lyrics synergize with what's happening in the story in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, it just really, really, I think is a, is a huge boost to the story for me. Kind of mm -hmm. this, it gives it this completeness to the yeah. film. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed the soundtrack a lot. I'll have to, I'll have to watch the movie again and focus on that because I didn't pay as much attention to it as you did. And I think because I was really enthralled with the characters, I didn't really hone in on that stuff, but it doesn't surprise me that Copley uses those types of songs and those types of lyrics to amplify things. And I think you're right. I think that's, that's part of what it does is it plays a great supporting actor to what's happening on screen to really remind you of what you're experiencing to kind of reinforce the emotions that he's, that she's trying to invoke in you and the, 
the level of just involvement as a, as an audience to the movie. All right. Well, last question is this, do you think there is anything to the fact that we have an American filmmaker, American female filmmaker directing this movie in Tokyo about an American female in Tokyo. (laughs) Um, And they're both kind of out of their element. Right. And I wonder if we feel that the Japanese characters in this film and the, and that Japan in general is represented in a way that is culturally appropriate or is it kind of a, I don't know, is it used at all, do you think, by Sofia Coppola inaccurately just to give our characters somewhere to play in the best parts of it? Or do you feel like it's a, you know, I, I don't know if you've been to Tokyo or not, but do you feel, do you <laughs> feel like it was that way? Yeah, having not been to Tokyo, I couldn't really make an objective argument either way. But what I will say is I think that the the cinematography and the city as a whole was used intentionally to create discomfort, to create tension for these American characters. And I don't know that the movie gives us enough time to make a judgment on whether or not there is accuracy with how the Japanese were portrayed. And again, I think that's intentional. I think that when you have a story centering around two people and you want to focus on that as much as possible. Everything else needs to be somewhat vague and somewhat stereotypical so that it can amplify those things. Otherwise you're focusing too much on, Hey, is that the right Japanese accent? I mean, is that really how people in Tokyo talk? Um, do Japanese women really say those types of things to Japanese men who direct commercials? Do they really talk that fast? There was definitely a lot that was played for fun and played for humor. I don't think it was insensitive, but I think what Coppola was doing is being very meta. In in literature, there was a term that I learned called novel of the key, and it's where an author pretty much writes characters and stories about his own life. Uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald did this with The Great Gatsby. He inserted himself, or at least a version of himself, into uh, one of our main character, one of the main characters. And I think in some ways, Sofia Coppola is doing this is she's saying, look, being in a different country is, um, is difficult. And I want to show that awkwardness. Perfect. See, that's where I was going with this and this whole line of questioning. So I'm glad you picked up what I was putting down because <laughs> that's how I take it as well is that she's a displaced American in Tokyo experiencing it. And our character is a displaced American in Tokyo experiencing it. And this is, Japan as experienced through those characters' eyes. So maybe it is incorrect. Maybe it is not necessarily an accurate representation of all of the elements of Japanese culture that exist. It's how these characters experience it through their lives and their brief time in the city. It's a translation. I mean, it literally is that. When you go to a foreign country, when I go to Kenya, I have preconceived ideas about the people that I'm going to meet. As many times as I've been to Africa, my preconceived ideas are always challenged by the time I leave because culture is different everywhere. Culture is different between countries, between cities, between tribes. And I think that Coppola is a genius at this because she creates that sense of this is what I'm interpreting by being here for two weeks. I am making an assumption about Japanese culture And it's probably wrong. And I'm okay saying that, but I want people to understand that this is part of what it means to be someplace that you're not comfortable in is you have to create a worldview that's going to feel comfortable to you. And so if the Japanese being absurd and obnoxious and fast talking help these characters get a little bit more comfortable with being in this awkward place then, I mean, she articulates that really well on screen with her characters. And I, again, I don't think it's a knock on Japanese culture. I think it's more a, a translation of the fact that Americans are trying to find their way in a place that's not very comfortable. And this is how they do it. Agreed. And if anything, it makes me want to go to Tokyo. 
I'll tell you that. Like between this and all the anime that I watch, like it is Tokyo. Tokyo is way up there on my places that I would love to visit and explore and just to find out if all the stuff that I see in films, you know, is really what their lifestyles is like. Um, I feel like it would be an incredible place to visit and learn about and and just get to you know soak in in the way that Charlotte and Bob both do. In that's for sure. Scenes. Yeah. Well, great talk, man. Um, I'm really glad that the listeners chose this one. It's high up there on my favorites list, and I was glad to get to have that conversation finally about it. But wrapping up, where can people find you if they want to continue talking to you about, if they want to tell you what their thoughts on Lost in Translation are, or if they just want to tell you whatever? (laughs) Well, you can find me at Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E. L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H, easy search. You can find me popping around the, the internet in those two main places. Be sure to at me or direct message me for any great conversation you want to have. I love talking movies and talking themes and all that stuff. So be sure to find me on the internet, those places. So next week, we're finally getting caught up on our donor picks. Uh, we've got these first two knocked out. And now we're going to finish off and celebrate April with uh, Road to Perdition. And um, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can be looking forward to a bonus episode that we'll be recording just after that. We'll be looking at our top five heist movies, or in Aaron's case, the top 25. I'm going to try to get him to have some restraint, but I don't think it's going to happen. In any case, it's going to be a great conversation for for both of those things, the movie and the, and the top five. So if you want to be a part of that, you can become a donor for as little as $2 a month. You can get access to that bonus content. So feel free to support us. You can visit patreon.com slash feeling film and find out more about ways that you can support the show. And if you'd like to contact me, you can find me on Twitter at Feelin' Film Aaron. You can also find me very active in our amazing Facebook discussion group, which we always encourage you to come join if you'd like to talk to other movie lovers uh, throughout the day, throughout the week. It's a fun place to come ask questions and to participate in list challenges and all kinds of great stuff. Patrick, this has been fun. I've enjoyed it. Me too. Until next time, stay positive and keep feeling film.